MailChimp presents. Have you ever heard of the dreaded customer? You know, it's when marketers throw their customers into one big messy group, failing to define them by their different needs or habits. It can show up when coupon codes meant for new customers are sent out to everyone, even return customers who can't use the discount. Basically, it's a mess. If you're a marketer, Intuit MailChimp can help you personalize your marketing campaigns so that you meet customers' individual needs instead of missing them. Turn customers into customers by personalizing emails and SMS based on real-time behavior data. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. SMS is available as an add-on to U.S. paid plans only. Visit MailChimp.com for details. I was trudging through the snow. It was one of the worst winters in New York City. I was going to a Brooklyn night bazaar, and I was carrying a suitcase full of these Korean beauty products. And then just everything was drenched. I was in tears. I got there, but then no one was even there because it was snowing so hard. And so we spent a lot of money to even have that set up. And I was thinking, what am I doing? Is this, is this what I should be doing? Charlotte Cho is the founder of SoCo Glam, an online marketplace for Korean skincare products. She launched it in 2012 with her husband, Dave, as honestly just kind of a side project. And today it's one of the largest retailers of Korean beauty, or K-beauty for short, in the United States. Charlotte is a top skinfluencer? Is that a word? It should be. But it took her a really long time to figure out that skincare was her thing. She was a big believer in skincare, but had a hard time believing it could be her career. I'm Ann Friedman, and this is Going Through It, a show about how hard it can be to figure out when to quit and when to keep going. On this episode, what happens when you just can't commit to your career or to your dream? This is really embarrassing to admit, I did not like washing my face at night. And so my mom would be horrified. <laughs> My mom tried to get me into skincare, but I didn't want to listen to her. I was so busy being rebellious and just going to the beach and, and not wearing sunscreen. I was not about to listen to my mom. I was more interested in kind of designer jeans or juicy lip glosses or even makeup. I was way more into makeup than I was into skincare because I thought skincare was something I'd worry about when I was much older. Right. And I think that that was pretty... That was kind of the dominant cultural thing in the U.S. at that time, too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I definitely was, like, oil of Olay commercials, like, where it's, like, <laughs> only when you're getting older and have yeah. wrinkles would you care about skincare. Right. So if skincare wasn't the thing that you were super passionate about when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? So that's a great question. Uh, I think all throughout my college life, I was trying to find myself, trying to figure out what I was best at, and I was honestly very confused. <laughs> Definitely changing majors, a drama major, switched to film and media studies, political science. I was part of this magazine, part-time jobs as a waitress, doing tons of internships, went to LA, in Irvine, driving all over the place, and so it was a mess. I was just exploring everything and anything that I could do because I love learning the inner workings of how things work, but I never knew what was for me. I just kind of was 
throwing stuff on the wall and see what was sticking. And I ended up basically deciding that I wanted to go to Korea. And that's when everything changed for me. Can you paint us a picture of what it felt like to you to be in Seoul for the first time? So I remember coming down the elevator at the airport, and then I was just surrounded by a sea of heads, and they all had dark black hair or they were brunette. It felt like being in a huge family. Like everyone on every corner could be your uncle, could be your aunt, could be your brother, could be your sister, and they treated you that way. It it did feel like I was somewhat part of a family. And I think it's maybe because I didn't grow up with a ton of Koreans. It was so interesting and I felt really strangely at home. So when were you introduced to Korean beauty? I mean, I was... Basically, I was 22 when I went to Korea, and all of my friends and colleagues that were around the same age as me, they were shocked that I didn't have a skincare routine, and I knew nothing about skincare. Could you kind of talk me through what the routine is? Yeah, I mean, it's, well, they call it the 10-step skincare routine. The first step is always the oil cleanse. Add another cleanser. A water-based cleanser. So that's called a double cleanse. Then you tone. Essence after that. Then a serum. Sheet mask. An eye cream. an exfoliator. You don't have to exfoliate every day, but if you have time to exfoliate, top it off with a moisturizer. Then sunscreen as your last step. How did that come out with your colleagues? Were you just chatting about it? or? Yeah, well, they, I would invite them over to my little studio in Seoul, and they came and saw my vanity, and they were like, where's the rest of your skincare? And I was just like, uh, this is my skincare routine. And they were so shocked, and they essence shamed me. What is that? Well, there's this product called essence and i didn't have it nor did i know what it was and so when they asked me like what essence do you use i was like what's an essence they shamed me for not knowing what that was so it was a huge learning curve for me that that is such a tell about how culturally important this was that they are not only are they looking in your vanity and admitting it to you but then they're gonna like roast you for it yes they're like, she's never been to a korean sauna before or they just called it a jimjidabang uh-huh. like oh my god you know you must have layers of dead skin cells on your body. Is this like generations of accepted cultural fact that a skincare routine matters? Or is it like still kind of new in 2008? I think that's why Korean beauty is such a huge phenomenon in the U.S. right now. It's because it's not about one product or one trend. It's about this skin-first philosophy that has been around in Korea for centuries. They've always taken care of their skin. They always saw skin as kind of the pinnacle of beauty. Also, when I went to bathhouses in Korea, I noticed that the whole family would go. It would be the grandma, the mom, and the daughter. And so three generations would be there exfoliating their body, taking care of their skin, slathering on moisturizer. And I remember overhearing a conversation where the grandma would be telling her granddaughter, remember to always moisturize after you take a bath. And she was explaining the importance of moisturizing. So it was just a different culture and it's ingrained at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Like we're taught you need to wash your hands after you use the restroom. That's, you know, similar thing that's ingrained um, for Korean people when they're growing up. You must moisturize. You must exfoliate. You must put on sunscreen and stay away from direct sunlight. It's just part of the culture. Right. Which, when you put it in those terms, it makes a lot more sense that your coworkers would be like, what is going on with your vanity? Exactly. <laughs> they thought I was like a barbarian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they took me under their wing and they taught me everything I needed to know. 
So wait, so your friends back, I assume you had a bunch of friends back in the yes. U.S., right? And around the time that you start getting into this and having a routine, are you talking to them about it? Yes. So I'm Google chatting them the whole time. And I'm telling them that, you know, you got to try this. My skin has transformed. This category, like essences, and you should know about sheet masks. And they're like, yeah, I kind of heard about that from my friend, but you can't get them over here. They would also tell me like, also, I don't know how to use it. Can you tell me like what step and, you know, why I need to use this? And they were just really confused about the whole thing, just as I was confused. So I was able to kind of handhold them and walk them through process and then they got into it because I would ship them stuff or I'd bring them home when I went back home for vacation or whatever it was and they wanted more whenever I went home to California and I would obviously stay with my parents my mom would compliment my skin and that actually my mom doesn't give a lot of compliments so I knew something was up (laughs) when she gave me that compliment she's like your skin looks so good and I was really shocked and it felt really good because it was me you know it wasn't just like oh your lipstick looks great what's the color it was inherently you and I think that's what really attracts me to skincare because it's about you and your skin and everyone has skin and no matter what tone you are or what age you are it's your skin and so when someone compliments you it feels really good So I know you run your business with your husband, Dave. How did you two meet? And did you already share a mutual love for all things skincare? I remember the first conversation we had about skincare. (laughs) I basically was trying to show off all my knowledge. And I expected him to know nothing because I stereotyped him and thought he's a guy in the military. And he's just like me. He grew up in California, so he must know nothing about skincare. And when I told him about my team, he was like, oh, I do that. I do that, too. Ugh, a man who double cleanses. It's, it's, <laughs> it really works. It, yeah. I mean, I, I basically showed him my vanity. <laughs> and I shared with him, you know, when I have dry skin, I, have, I use these. And when it's the winter, I use this. And when it's spring, I basically listed everything that I did. And he's like, oh, and I use this sunscreen. And, I'm, and I was like, what? No, you're stealing my thunder. So he was actually very into his skincare. So did it become kind of like a shared hobby? Yeah, so uh, Dave and I would go back to California together for the holidays, and we'd bring back so many products. We felt like kind of like Santa Claus. <laughs> Every Christmas, we knew exactly what to get. And and it was really Did you fun. have like a suitcase full of suitcase products? Suitcase full of products. It was years later where I realized I became this go-to source for Korean beauty and skincare. And I loved the how fulfilling it was when people mentioned, oh my God, my I got a compliment on my skin the other day. How happy that made me feel. I just realized, oh my gosh, this is something that, this is my thing. Were you immediately like, now this is going to be my career and my business and my everything? (laughs) We're just looking for something creative to do on the weekends. And so because I was so passionate about skincare and because I was just really into sharing my tips and my favorite products, we said, hey, how about we just create this little shop online that lists all of our favorite products and we're able to provide access to people that want it? I'm curious about, as you're setting up the website and doing all this stuff, what were your expectations for what it was or what it would be? Again, it was such a passion project that we didn't really have any aspirations to make this our livelihood. And it's funny because when I would share this idea with friends, they would say a lot of negative things, not in a bad way. They were just saying, keep in mind, this is 2012 when no one was really trusting buying cosmetics online. And they're like, I don't know if people would want to buy something online they've never touched, felt, or even heard of. Who would trust that? Okay, so you would kind of thought that you're going to move to New York, 
Dave's going to go to business school and you're going to apply for PR jobs maybe? Yeah. Is that the plan? I think that was basically the plan. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happened when you got to New York? So I started brushing up my resume because I was like, okay, well, we are living in the most expensive cities in the world. I no longer have a job. We're living <laughs> off of our savings. Dave also is not making any money anymore. So I'm sweating. Someone- <laughs> <laughs> someone's got to make pay the bills, you know? So um, I started thinking about it seriously and I started just job searching. So at this point, SoCo Glam is taking up like what, like 20 hours a week, more? How how big a part of your life is it? Well, at that time, because I, I was now moved to New York City mm-hmm. and I wasn't working a full-time job, it was my full-time job. SoCo Glam was, I was working on it day and night. And then there was this moment when Daily Candy, I don't know if you remember that, <laughs> I know. I love Daily Candy. It's too, too bad. It doesn't exist anymore. R.I.P. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I love that. Um, Maybe you could explain what it is for people who are listening who don't know. I think so. Daily Candy, I think, is one of the first online magazines. And they did such a good job because they covered such interesting topics. And they covered a lot of startups and small businesses. And so it's no longer around. But they wrote this tiny blurb about going to Sogo Glam to find your favorite Korean beauty products that you can't get in the U.S. And so... That article went out, and we expected nothing. We didn't know how big Daily Candy was, and we sold out. I remember that moment because the orders kept coming through, and we sold out of every single product within, like, a couple of hours. And we saw from the orders that most of these people didn't have Korean last names, like Kim, Lee, or Park. (laughs) And so we're like, oh my gosh, non-Asians are loving this. And that was a surprise? Yeah, that was a surprise because... We didn't really explain what it was, and we thought maybe it was too foreign for them to really trust it. And so it was really great to see that people who are non-Asian were really curious and excited and willing to purchase these products they've never heard of. Is that when you started to feel the momentum change for the company? It started to pick up. I mean, after the Daily Candy mention, some other editors reached out and organically started asking questions about these products. And so I started doing... PR for Soko Glam. I was in New York City, you know, mecca of all of these beauty publications. And so I would cold tweet and cold email these editors and try to get in front of them and tell them about Korean beauty. Was it a tough sell? At the time when I was cold tweeting and cold emailing, I would ask them, do you know what K-beauty is? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, Kardashian beauty. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's the thing that got me. And I was like, no, 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 actually, it's quite the opposite of that. But let me explain it to you. And so that's how it all began. And they were really receptive to it because the products were really, truly unique and different and they've never heard of it before and they never had anyone explain it to them. Mm. So it, it, it caught on and they would introduce me to their editor friends at another publication and it just kind of snowballed. Things started to stack up. We bought filing cabinets and different pieces of furniture just to help organize the inventory we had in our apartment. We had to sell off our TV and our TV stand because we just didn't have enough space for that and we never watched TV anyway. (laughs) And we also um, couldn't let anyone come over because it was just kind of a mess and it was basically a warehouse. It was a fulfillment station. And so everything started to smell like cardboard, especially when it rained. And it was just filled with tons of office supplies and printers and packaging supplies, tape, you name it, we had it. So it sounds like to me that this is your job. Yes. yes. <laughs> you it, know, like I you mean, moved to New York to do this, even though maybe that wasn't the plan. Yeah, yeah it was definitely put my heart and soul into Sokun because I was so passionate about it. It was 
I didn't. I think it didn't register to me at the time that wow, this passion project that I'm really excited about and I feel that people are really loving could really sustain me and and be my livelihood. And did it feel like it was sustaining you, or did it also feel? I mean, it sounds sounds extremely stressful to me to be living in a house that smells like cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> it it was stressful, and I mean, everything that we made from the business was put right back into it to extend the amount of products we had, or to get a better box, or you know, whatever it is, or shipping service, or so we were very, very bootstrapped, and we were putting any money that we made from the business back into it. I was in the middle of deciding if I should pursue this company called Soko Glam. And uh, I didn't know if it was going to work out long term as a way to sustain myself. Mm-hmm. So we were in our small, tiny little apartment in the Upper West Side, packing boxes and just doing and hustling and literally carrying these boxes to the post office in the snow and also just kind of being hunched over the computer wondering when we're going to get more orders or if we're going to get enough orders or if we're growing month to month. And I had this self-doubt inside of me where I was wondering, is this going to be a long-term thing or is this truly going to be a side project? Was there something during that period or a day when you're like, God, I really don't know if I can do this anymore? Yeah, so this was four years ago. I was trudging through the snow and it was one of the worst winters in New York City. I remember being in Uggs. It was knee deep snow. I was going to a Brooklyn night bazaar and I was carrying a suitcase full of these Korean beauty products. I didn't have enough money to really take a cab all the way from Upper West Side, so I decided to take the subway. And that meant walking at least like 15 minutes through the snow. And then just everything was drenched. I was in tears. I got there. No one was even there because it was snowing. And I was thinking, what am I doing? Is this what I should be doing? Do people even care? And it was a moment of a lot of self-doubt. I would still mention to Dave that, you know, I'm starting to look at places to work at. Maybe, you know, I can work part-time or something. And yeah, it was just me always bringing this up. And he told me one day, and I remember this very clearly, he just kind of sat me down. He's like, Charlotte, don't work on your resume anymore. He's like, don't even look for jobs right now. And I was like, why? You know, this is not realistic. And this is me, you know, just, you know, we need to like at least work part-time somewhere. Like this is, I can work part-time. I could totally do it. And he was like, Charlotte, seriously? Do not touch your resume. Do not even think about different jobs that you can pick up. Because every moment that you spend looking for jobs or brushing up your resume, you're basically saying that this isn't this isn't going to work out. And if you don't give 110%, then it's not going to work out. So you might as well not even do it anymore. You have to pick and you have to just go full steam ahead with that one pick. That was a light bulb moment for me. Were you like, yes, he's right, right away? It resonated with me right away. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think because I trust Dave. (laughs) He's really wise. And he he had, I think he had made a great argument. It was just me being very risk averse at the time Hmm. and trying to be like responsible. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we had savings to live off of. So like, why not go full steam ahead and then reassess? And if it's not going to work out, because a lot of businesses don't, succeed within the first year then we can say all right we tried our best and then fold it or I don't know what to do with it but just make that decision then but why not now 
why not give it 110%? Because that 10% of you thinking about, oh, that opportunity looks interesting. Maybe that could be a good part-time job or, you know, or I should spend 20 minutes of my time refreshing my resume. That's 20 minutes of time that you could put into SoCoGlam. SoCoGlam has become one of the leading Korean beauty brands in the United States. Charlotte is the author of The Little Book of Skincare: Korean Beauty Secrets for Healthy, Glowing Skin. And maybe this goes without saying, but she and Dave are no longer shipping orders from their apartment. Going Through It is an original series from MailChimp, and I'm your host, Ann Friedman. These episodes are double-cleansed and toned by producers Eleanor Kagan, Megan Tan, Gabrielle Lewis, and Claire Tai. This episode was edited by Joel Lovell. It was scored and mixed by Hannes Brown. Thanks to Max Linsky, a true brofile in Courage, and everyone at Pineapple Street Media. On the next episode, when your employer doesn't share your values, or value you, how do you know when it's time to leave? It was very clear that I wasn't going to grow there because they, they told me that. They literally would not allow me to try new things. And, and I, it was the first place I'd ever worked where I was just tolerated, where I think people thought, nah, she's all right. But you know what I loved about it was recognizing that you can be very successful in a context where people don't particularly like you. Emmy Award-winning reporter and anchor Soledad O'Brien tells me about a time when she realized she could improve her skills, but she couldn't improve her employer. 